It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner, joined by Chad Brendel of BearcatJournal.com and Rick Roaring from MusketeerReport.com. Welcome into this edition of the Skinny Podcast, the college basketball edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist editor with Chad Brendel from Bearcat Journal and Rick Boring from Musketeer Report. The Skinny Podcast sponsored by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati. Hey! Ding, ding, ding. Do I get a car? Um, just as a courtesy for like five hours. But well, yes, we thank them. That's well, a deal. It Will is they at deal. least fix my brakes? That maybe is in the works. Bad weather. We'll have to figure all that stuff out. The logistics of it, man. I'm just reading. I, I'm Ron Burgundy right now. I'm just reading what's in front of me. Okay? That's all I'm telling you. But we do thank Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati. We will catch up on the crazy full weekend of college basketball where I'm not sure I can trust any team in the country in a major conference to go on the road and win a game against a team that, that has a pulse. It, that has a pulse. Yes, I'll give you that part of it. So we'll touch on on that as we go along because it was a crazy, crazy weekend. But let's start locally, where the most recent game was just played uh, just a little bit uh, a couple hours ago before we uh, recorded this podcast. Where you see at home at BB&T Arena over in Northern Kentucky did knock off uh, SMU and Chad. Uh, it, it was really a first half in which UC built the lead without shooting the basketball worth a darn. No, it, it, their defense was incredible. Against SMU, they usually SMU is very crisp on offense. They don't turn it over. Um, they move the ball well. They get open looks from three. That has been their mo. Their top thirty in offense this year, offensive efficiency, and they got no space. Uh, they what I think six field goals in the entire first yeah. half, um, twenty points, and they kind of felt and, like, and one of those was a runout. Yeah, twenty points. It almost felt like they were lucky to have right. twenty. Um, just a absolutely incredible defensive performance, and then in the second half, they Gary Clark went to work and created even more separation after halftime, and that game was never really in question after the the second media timeout of the first half. The the final thirty two minutes, Cincinnati pretty much dominated. They went on a twenty to three run. Uh, SMU had a nine to five lead early, and UC went on a twenty to three run from there, and. It was. It never really felt close from that point on. I, I, I've I've had my questions about this SMU team, just because I know it, replacing the two of the guys that they replaced playing in the NBA. Yeah, I mean that, that's and, that's very different for, for a team that didn't have a lot of depth to begin yeah, with last year. Guys, and they, I mean, and they don't have a lot of depth this year, right? So I I had questioned just how good they were. They tried to come in and beat UC at their own game, and that did not go well for Tim Jankovic. And his uh, his his ponies. It was an impressive performance by Cincinnati. I think that's going to be a little bit of the problem in the American for those mid tier teams. The teams that are right behind UC are going to try to beat UC at out toughing them and being good defenders. You're not beating this UC team at that. So you, you might be able to do it at home. Right, 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 right. Yeah, on the road. Yes. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I should say that. On, on the road, it's a different story because right. every no one's the same team in the country as we've seen. Yes, but. When you are coming into UC's building to try to beat them at that game, it just isn't going to happen. And it seems like a few of those teams right behind UC are kind of built that way. Houston's not, but Temple definitely is. SMU definitely is. Central Florida definitely is. Central Florida is. definitely is. Um, the, I have uh, something, kind of, my, my guy Justin Berg, who is my uh, director of basketball content, um, pointed out something. He was looking at the defensive efficiency numbers. This is Mick Cronin's best from defense. this game or from, from, from the, the season. The season. 
to, to date, this is the best defense Mick Cronin has coached at Cincinnati. We spent so much time talking about Mick Cronin's best offense. I never in a million years thought we'd be even remotely having the conversation that this team with Jaron Cumberland and Justin Jennifer starting and Kyle Washington at center statistically would be Mick Cronin's best defense. And really the only game that they, they've been blitzed was, was Xavier. Xavier. Florida only scored 66 right. on them. UCLA really struggled offensively, and UCLA's got a good offensive team. Are you surprised, Rick, that this is – I mean, the su- surprised that it's his best defense, yes. Um, I didn't expect this to be his best defensive team. But the way they've played the, some of these games, like when they've gone on the road, we expected them to play faster and trade baskets a little more and, and play up tempo like we were talking about last year and in the preseason. They haven't done that. They've gone back to being the exact same UC, slow it down, make it ugly on the road, and they, obviously they found a way to win that way the other night, which take nothing away from them. That is a big-time shot by uh, Jacob, Jacob Evans, Evan. and it's the type of win that you have to have if you're UC because that is a Tier 1 win. Yeah, That's a top 75 RPI team. Those are the exact games you need. You needed that game more than you needed today's game, which was a Tier 2 win exactly. at home. Yeah. So mm-hmm. people act like, well, it looked ugly, everything else, but... You don't apologize for wins on the road. It didn't look good. It is the same old UC issues when they go on the road in terms of not being able to score and, and running a slow, kind of ugly offense. But they won the game, and I think that's that's what matters. So I guess my point would be, if you would have told me, hey, they're going to still play like a Mick Cronin team, then yeah, I could have believed this is his best defense because I would have expected them to be top 10 for sure. Um, I listened to Mick in the post game a little bit. I don't know if he addressed it with, with you guys, but I listened on his radio post game. He talked about Gary Clark and, and talking to him about stop waiting for double teams and just go score it. And it seemed like he did do that no, a lot more. Yeah, that's exactly. He didn't do it in the first half and struggled. And I think he had five points at halftime. He was waiting for the double and then passing out of the double. Um, and second half, he had – I think four possessions, four out of five possessions in a row where they got it to him and he went instantly and got to the rim. Two of them he got fouled and got and ones. He scored four baskets. He had ten points and it was in the blink of an eye. And like I said, that that shut the door on SMU. How much of that is him just just assuming the double's coming and, and, and almost being so patient enough to wait for it and being finally told, listen, just stop waiting, go. If they do double you, you're a good enough passer, you're a good enough decision maker, you'll make the right decision. But make a move. Do something to make a move. I think there's a lot to that. This was so interesting because the other night when I was going back and watching the Temple game on Synergy, I'm watching it just trying to think, like, okay, they're clearly going to play through Gary Clark, and I don't even think that's a bad idea necessarily because Gary Clark is their best player in my opinion. But – what can they do differently? If that, if that's how they're going to play, what can they do better to look more efficient and look like they have more pace on offense? And the funny thing was, it brought me back to really the only time during Chris Mack's tenure that Xavier's played through the post, which was the Matt Stainbrook years. Early on his junior year, his biggest issue was... Pay, too patient. Because he was too skilled, right. he, he liked the double team. He wanted to pass right. out of it, make plays. That's how Gary is. He feels like he can make his teammates better that way. So bring on the double team. I'll find the open man. But what it does is it just kills the pace of your offense. You get yourself in some difficult situations. And it's like, what good is it if you waited eight seconds to get the ball, you held it for 10 seconds waiting for the double team to come, and then you kick out to Justin Jennifer to create with 10 seconds left on the shot clock. You don't have time to because, run up on that. Yeah. It's what we talked about after Xavier and Florida about running the offense through Gary Clark and, and 
what to change. What to change is have Gary go. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. You're throwing in there because you believe he can score it for starters. You're, you're, I mean, you know he's going to make good decisions, but you're throwing in there because you think he can score when he gets a touch. So just go try to do it. And again, I, I don't think he'll be selfish with it. It'll be make a quick move if you're stymied or the double comes quickly. He'll find the right guy, and, yeah. and, and it's, it's going to make – here's what's going to happen now. It's going to make the double come quicker. It's going to allow you then to find somebody and find then that person finds somebody else quicker as opposed to throwing it out to somebody who, oh, crap, it's in his hands with eight on the shot clock. Now where we go with this damn thing? Yeah, I, it was it was a thing of beauty when they did it tonight. And you also get more movement from the other players because right. they don't get in that rhythm of throw it into him and then watch him for eight seconds while we space on the perimeter. Now it's he's doing something, so I'm either cutting to the rim or replacing someone else. There's quicker movement from everyone, and that just completely changes their look. Balls in Jacob Evans' hands a little bit more, too, um, and it seems like that's working as well. Yeah, uh, 14 shots today. Yeah. 7 of 14 from the four floor. Assists. Four assists. He's he's really – he's a little bit slower. He's not going to give you the pace that a Kane Broom or somebody is, but what they're doing is what we've talked about. Broom and Jennifer are bringing the ball up and looking to probe, and then when they reset – they're it's giving it Jacob, to Jacob, right. and Jacob is running the half-court offense, and I think it suits his skill set really well. Um, it's getting him more aggressive. It's getting him more involved. I think hitting that shot against Temple, which was a pro shot, uh, through the legs three times, coming back, going to his right, which when you're coming between your legs, crossing back over to your right, your body is not in balance. If you look at when he took that shot, his right foot is behind his left foot and kind of swinging through uh, as he takes the shot, that's a tough 19-footer to hit. And he rose up and stuck it with incredible confidence. And that's big. For this team, that is huge. Well, Because we've also talked about them finding themselves in this situation, and Troy Copain isn't there anymore. And yeah. they haven't necessarily been super efficient in those situations. So it's like, what is the play? Who is the guy? And what are they going to? Well, now you know. Yeah. Now you know. And it can just be an ISO. You also found out not only... Not only is it going to be Jacob Evans, we don't even have to run anything for him. Get him, a, if he has a, a decent enough matchup, let him go one-on-one, and, and he has the cojones to rise up and make that shot. Well, and, and they, they, they did a really smart thing at the beginning of that that hasn't been talked about at the beginning of that play is Gary Clark came up and set a screen because Jacob Evans, they had Quentin Rose on him, who was 6'6", and could have you know, done a good job defending that type of pull-up 19-foot jumper and really contesting it. They ran Gary Clark out, who for some reason had Josh Brown on him. And when you switch Josh Brown, Josh Brown's six foot. Jacob Evans has got six inches on him. And that's when Evans just kind of walked him down and crossed him over and bang, pulls up and hits it. If you leave Quentin Rose, if you play 1-4 flat there and you don't get that switch, maybe he doesn't get the look that he got. But he got a clean look, and that's... We talked about it where we felt like they got robbed of that situation in Florida because of the bad right. call when he got hit on the arm and they didn't they didn't blow the whistle. He didn't get robbed of that situation uh, against Temple and, and banged it in. Big week for Cincinnati. Yeah, now, now to nitpick a little bit though, offensively the fifty five points against Temple and this they turned it over eighteen or sixteen times, thirteen in the first half. Yeah, I'm, I'm nitpicking. I'm admittedly nitpicking here a little bit. It 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 did they were terrible. Still, it still offensively. had a feel of. Last year and the year before when they go on the road and they just don't get a lot going offensively. Yeah, I mean, they, they turned it over 13 times and, and probably eight of those were just inexcusable. I mean, they were awful. Temple doesn't pressure you. 
No, but I think that's the thing. UC wasn't running either. So it's not like, oh, they were got too sloppy or loose. It was directly a result of they couldn't create a good look offensively. Yeah. They are playing way too slow. And yeah. then, it just, then it gets frustrating. You're trying to do stuff at the end of a shot clock that you're not made to do. Like Justin Jennifer isn't a shot creator with eight seconds left on the shot clock. Yeah. Really, same thing goes for Jaron Cumberland too. And we've seen Jacob Evans do it now at the end of the game. But like for the most part, that's probably not his game. Every every scouting report you read about Jacob Evans for the NBA is he's a three and D guy. He's yeah. going to be a spot up guy in the NBA. I don't disagree with that. Like it's not that he can't create his own shot at the college level, but that's not his strength. No. And so I just think they need more movement and more continuity on the offensive end like we saw tonight. But you go on the road and everyone seems to have a hard time doing that. So as long as they can hold serve at home and play that way at home, I think they've got a chance. Well, I mean, Temple has had their number in that that they do a good job of slowing them down. Um, and I, not I think, having Kane Broom was a part of it. But but I think the, the, the thing there is it's not like Temple played well in that game. No, they didn't. Um, and so from a UC fan's perspective, I think you'd say – well, don't let Temple dictate the tempo because they're not as talented yeah. as you and they're not playing well. It's not like they just made shots all out of their mind and, and so they're able to get that. out in front of you. It'd be force the tempo on them and make them play your style and run them out of the gym if you're that much more talented, which I think UC is. But And, and, and you'll get that test in two more games. They play South Florida next uh, on the road on, on Saturday. Then, then after that, that is Central, Central Florida. Florida which so that's where you'll see. That's gonna. I mean, it's going to be another grind. They, they, they are one of the best field goal percentage defense teams in the country. Temple scored 39 on them today. I believe that's right. I didn't get to see the 60, game. 60-39, I think. Yeah, it was. American <laughs> basketball. It's riveting. <laughs> yeah, not Temple's, so I mean, that's, that's They're a, a mess. mess. They're a mess. That's a mess. Come see your Central Florida Knights. Put up over 45 points per game at home. <laughs> and win by 16. <laughs> Brutal. But it is funny. In the league, it is really starting to see who, who the, I mean, the teams that we talked about. UC and Wichita are the only two undefeateds left in the league. UCF has one loss. Houston has one loss, which I believe was at Wichita, so that's their only loss. The, the one team that might find itself working its way into trouble is SMU eventually. Maybe. I mean, that, that loss to Tulsa... Is was a big one for them. Tulane or Tulane? Tulane I mean. Yeah, I mean that's he, a big one for them. And here's the thing: I made the comment on Twitter that it's a bad loss for the conference, and people, the UC fans, think everything is like they need to defend the American and UC at all costs. And it's like I'm, I have UC in mind when I'm saying that. Right. My point is, UC needs SMU to be as good of a win as possible. Yeah. Both times that they play, correct. Them. They already lost neutral Northern Iowa. They already lost neutral to Western Kentucky, who is a top 60 team. So I'm not like saying that's a terrible loss, but it's also a tier two game. It's not yeah. a tier one, so it's not a great loss. And now Western Kentucky is not going to be that large team. And now you lost at Tulane. So all of a sudden, instead of being a team that could have legitimately been close to that top 25 number when you played them and been right. a tier one both places, you've got a team that's floating around 40, maybe 50 by the end of the yeah. year because of some of those losses. So it is a definitively bad loss for the teams at the top of the conference. You do not care in the American whether Tulane is, is almost a 100 team versus being 150. That doesn't help you in any way, shape, or form. You're right. All right, let's move on to Xavier. I like it, though. That was good. I, he, 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 he frustrated me the other night because he didn't – I was making – a Tulane joke, and he'd like. I, I I thought we were just talking about basketball, and you were like, "You got me," and I was like, "I wasn't trying to get you." I thought we were talking about what just happened. You guys played a game and got you. And then also, you were like, "Tulane's my team, like DePaul's your team." I was like, "I didn't know that. I didn't know that was a thing." That we started that as a thing last year. Has it not been a well, running well, thing? That we, we made fun of you Tulane? for legitimately saying Tulane was good. I we, said we they did. were coming. I so said they had some good offensive yes, parts. Yes, you meant it. 
They have some good offensive parts. Okay, see, this is the thing. You're being serious when you say that. Have you though. watched Tulane? Yes, and that's the difference. Like, you're being serious right now. When I say DePaul is back, it is a joke, and that's that's the difference. That's why I didn't know you were joking when you said Tulane's good. I, I, I think they've got two good players. That's awesome. They're, like, almost a top 100 team. Yeah. They're outside of it. I don't, I don't think that changes anything I've said. There you go. All right, let's t- touch on Xavier. Um, th- this kind of felt like it was been coming for a while. They keep digging holes, and they dig out. Dig holes and dig out. Dug a hole on Saturday and, and couldn't dig out. Is this just life on the road in, in, in the Big East, or is this a, a, a bigger problem that just kind of finally came to a head? So it's life in the road on the Big East. Like this, this loss, and it was a Tier 1 game. So at the end of the year, Providence is comfortably inside the top 75. Uh, so they're predicted to finish like 63rd, I think, worst case scenario. And that's that's with a lot of expected losses because they started the year slow right. with people out. So um, I think that number will be closer to 50 really when they get rolling here. And I think they're a talented team. However, there are concerns for Xavier. And it's a couple of them are things that we knew about this team and we've been saying all along is their biggest downfall, which is they get careless with the ball and they turn it over too much. And they don't defend. They can't get stops when they need them, and, and they don't defend well through most of the game. And that was certainly the case in this one. However, I didn't think that the defense was what cost them this game. I think for them to win against good teams on the road and and then later on in the season, in the postseason, it will be Trayvon Blewett and J.P. Makira have to be better than the other team's best yeah. players, yeah. and this offense has to be really good. This team is made to build good teams with its offense and with its best players being stars on the offensive end. It's not It's not UC. They're not made to hold people under a point per possession on the road against really good competition. So you, Xavier scored under .9 points per possession. That's where they lost the game to me, not the fact that they couldn't get stops. And granted, that was certainly an issue. If they could have gotten stops, they could have came back at the end. But you have to know that going in, and that's not who they are. So the bigger concern is, what's the deal with Trayvon? How that, long does it last? Yeah, that, and that is, what, so what is the deal with Trayvon, and I how long I'm, might it last? It, look, the shoulder... Are you having problems there? Yeah, his microphone keeps you keep, drooping. You're going limp? I've got, I've got a limp mic. Yeah. <laughs> it just keeps... Who, does, who doesn't on a Sunday night? <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that to you. You're more of the expert in that category. Um, <laughs> I just couldn't help. I've been watching. I've been watching. It. Just Skinny, <laughs> can I borrow a pill to fix this? Yes. How's that work? I don't need no pills, man. Ain't no pill fixing that either. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think with Trayvon, <laughs> yeah, it's got to be a good visual. <laughs> yeah, it's not really good for radio, no. but for you guys seeing me constantly yes. grab my mic, it's good. <laughs> and it is your mic, Trayvon. How long does that last? How quickly do you get out of it during Big East play? Because Xavier can lose a handful of games in the Big East if Trayvon is in at well, Here back. comes Nova next on a road. Yeah. I mean, and I don't expect that. I don't think that's, that's the big game. It's the game no, after. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, the the thing, two games after. That's a two-game road. It's Nova and then St. Hey, John's? No, I think it's home after that, isn't it? I thought it was Nova, then home. I'm going to double check. Xavier plays at Villanova, then, and then home against home Creighton games. on Saturday, yeah. and home against St. John's yeah. before going to St. John's is a mess. That was tournament team. They're not playing well. Well, I mean, they've still got a legit chance. I mean, we're calling them a mess for losing to Big East teams that are going to make the tournament. Yeah, so still, they can they oh can, and four. It's got to at some point you don't get credit for all the losses. You got to win some games. No question. Um, but we'll we'll see. They're they're not out of it exactly yet. They'd be on the bubble as of right now. Um, so if if Trayvon keeps playing like this, I don't know. I mean. At some point, he's going to come out of it. I don't think that's a right. question. I don't right. think it's a long-term issue. But the bigger question is, now you lost at Providence. So when you start looking at that the, the conference schedule, 
you're not expected to win at Villanova. You're not going to be expected to win at Creighton. You're not going to be expected to win at Seton Hall. It's going to be tough to get a winning record on the road now sure. in the Big East without that Providence game. Right. You're going to have to steal one from someone really good or it's just not going to happen. So now it does start becoming, okay, if you're a Xavier fan and you think this team is special and, and capable of a special seed line, they're going to have to win pretty much every game at home. And you know, then you at least hold serve on those other games you do expect to win. You're going to have to beat up on the bottom of the conference when you go on the road. Yeah, I mean, I guess in retrospect, that's where the Marquette win, you've, you've already yeah, that, stolen that that's one. Huge that, that's right huge now. right now, yeah. Yeah, and, and so they've done that, but like, it just, all those teams are about the same. You know, when you're talking right. about Marquette and Butler and St. John's and Providence, all those teams are very similar in terms of talent level, and one might be playing better at this time and the other might be playing better at this time, so it depends on when you face them. But they're all very similar in terms of talent and how, how tough of a game that is on the road. Um, does this Xavier team play with a sense of urgency? No. That is, I've actually, I wrote about that a couple weeks ago, and I've talked about it for a couple years now with this senior group. And it started when Miles Davis was kind of becoming a leader because he was very much in the same mold. Edmund Sumner was kind of that way too. All these guys, and people won't believe this because of JP. People think JP's a wild man and an extrovert. All these guys are introverts. At practice, they don't talk to each other a lot. It's not a big. They don't. They aren't the type of guys that need a leader in the locker room. Grabbing someone by the throat. Is there is there an accountability guy? No, and they completely lack that. They're not in the locker room saying like that's on you or you got to defend better. They're not C.J. Anderson scaring someone into defending better inside the locker room. They're just super confident. And so that that's a double-edged sword because in the first half of games, you see them get down by 10, and they're still just throwing the ball all around and haven't really locked yeah, hey, in at either end at we're, that point. Yeah, we're good enough to, to dig out of this. And then the, the, the other side of it is, well, in the second half, they've made some comebacks this year and seem to have no problem taking big shots and making runs on teams. So it's a good and a bad thing. I don't necessarily – like every team has their – different set of leaders that lead in a different way and i just think you have to find what works for your team i think this group of guys responds really well to that leadership but the problem with that is you're going to have games like this where they just don't seem to a lot of teams will have maybe like three or four games a year where they just don't seem to show up for the whole game or whatever savior has like it's been a a pretty good stretch of that for the most part yeah that defensively i know we've talked about it quite a bit but and I, I tend to agree with you on the Providence game that defense, while it was a problem, it wasn't the major problem. They're what now in the sixties? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean that that has to. They're be, right at sixty. That has to be unsettling if you're th- talking about can this team make a Final Four? Can this team make that run? You know that magical run that that everybody's hoping or thinking that they can do in the in the Xavier fan base, looking and seeing a metric that says sixty has to have you at least a little con- more concerned than it, you know. Yeah, I guess, I guess for the fans that are thinking that, my thing would be like, well, they're better than last year's team finished the year even after that great postseason run. They're still better defensively, metrically, and right now passing the eye test, they're better than last year's team defensively. Last year's team made an Elite Eight run, and they looked good defensively in the tournament by way of Chris Mack scheming his way and running a bunch of different stuff and working the matchups. That To me, that's the only hope for upside for this team defensively. They're not going to be a top 40 team defensively. They're not going to improve to that point. It's not in the cards for this group of guys. They're very similar to last year's team. They're just not great defensively. They're smart. They're physical. They're long. They rebound really well. So they have some good qualities on the defensive end, but they're not going to stop opposing team's best players on a regular basis. They didn't do that last year. They're not going to do it this year. So is that a problem? 
Yes, and I've been saying that since the preseason. It's been my biggest concern with this team, and ultimately it's why they'll probably lose. That and the combination of they just get too careless with the ball at times and turn it over too much. But when they lose, I don't know, because last year's team made a run to the Elite Eight. So it's like this this team is capable of getting hot and playing at a really high level against really good teams, and we've also seen it even this year. The best teams they've played, they're able to defend well enough to play with those teams. You know, They're able to defend well against enough against Cincinnati and Baylor and, and teams like that and on the road at Marquette. So it, it, that, that's kind of my thing with it. Is if they're, they're, they're not built to win with their defense, so the defense just has to be adequate. Can you be adequate enough nights against the good teams for it to matter? Um, obviously, you talk about this team's confidence, and, and comes right now comes with it some pressure. You mentioned that there are some games when you look on the road, they're going to be really hard to win a chunk of those games. So as you mentioned, it almost makes you have to have a clean slate at home. Does the confidence level help with that, that, that hey, we, don't, we just don't lose in this building, and we're not going to lose to Villanova, we're not going to lose to Seton Hall, we're not going to lose to We're not losing in this building. 100%. I think that's the way this team feels. I think they back that up with the way that they play. And... You know, it's not easy to go undefeated at home. No, You're going to be especially having in this Creighton league, and sure. Seton Hall and Villanova coming in there still. But I think this team is capable of doing that. And we've talked, I like, I expect them to upset Villanova this year at Xavier. I expect them to get blown right. out at Villanova like they normally do. The game will come back. Both teams will be ranked somewhat high. And Xavier will pull off the win like they did two years ago. That's my guess. Well, and, and, and to follow up on that, because that's the next game on the schedule, is at Villanova. And if, if, if it comes to Hoyle as, as you, as you, just talked about that could shake some teams. I mean, think about you've you've kind of survived some stuff. You go into the Providence game fifteen and one. You are favored to win. You are the better team probably when push. Or you are the better team when push comes to shove. You lose that. Let's say you get rolled at Villanova. That could shake some teams. And then with this team, you don't think it shakes them one ounce. Well, for one, they've done it the last. Every year that they've been in the right. Big East, they've got blown out at Villanova and it hasn't really mattered right. in terms of the rest of their season. So, no, I don't think they'll be shaken. But if they, that's, that's what I would tell Xavier fans. If they go up there and lose by 30, as they have a tendency to do, I don't think it really has any type of indication of what type of team we're looking at. Yeah, uh, so let's, let's talk. We're going to get into a little bit of Kentucky and NKU, but but uh, t- touch on Ohio State's win today at home over Michigan State. Wow. And I, and I want to spin that into... I'm not sure if I if I put a gun to either your head right now and I said in in the major conferences I'm going to you you have to pick one team to go on the road and win a game at, at at least the mid-level tier of the league. Who do you pick? Villanova. Yeah. Okay. I mean honestly, right. yeah, All a right. team who just lost at Butler and right. got absolutely right. smoked in a game where Butler was out of their freaking mind. Yeah, uh, under, un- understood, but I but right now the I thing, agree with but, them. but the reason I say, like, I don't think Villanova played terribly in that game. I think Butler was played just out terrible. of their yeah, mind. And, yeah, and that's probably like, fair. Uh, like, that's probably fair. You don't play the classiest bunch of assholes this side of the Mississippi River on Andrew Smith Day at Hinkle Fieldhouse. That is walking into a buzzsaw. If I would have known that was Andrew Smith Day, I might have bet everything on Butler. Yeah, you could have paid off the new house you just moved into. That's just- the Butler way. <laughs> that's the Butler that's way. The Butler way. Um, I, Michigan State, like, how do you go to Ohio State and get destroyed? Got housed. How how does that happen? How does Duke go to NC State and get slammed? After already doing and that you, at Boston, Boston College. College. Giving I mean, up lost, 90, 90 lost, points in both games. Duke has arguably lost to two of, what, the five worst, four worst teams in the ACC? Yeah. yeah. Close enough? Ballpark? Yeah. I mean. Gave up 90, 90 to Boston College and NC and, and State. NC State. 
You know, Arizona follows up what it did. Just it really started playing really, really well. And then they go to Colorado, go to Colorado, and lose. I, you know, I just which, by the way, Colorado all of a sudden just took two huge scalps oh, out no of doubt. nowhere. No doubt, terrible. Xavier, Xavier made them look like they were. Hampton. I watched. I watched them a couple Fridays ago against. I think it was Oregon State. They looked awful. Awful. I mean, to the point of boy, that's just that. Boy, that's not even a good Xavier. Boy, they're going to have to fire Tad Boyle. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, awful. And suddenly you look up, and what have they done the last couple games? Holy cow! It's just it's. I'm not sure who you can trust. And I think that's just. Maybe that's this year, I guess. Maybe I it is think it this is year. this year because Kentucky gets destroyed in the second half against Tennessee. Yeah, after after honestly having to fight tooth and nail to win at LSU. And I don't think and LSU goes and beats A and M at A and M. How about that Tremont Water shot? Big time, big time. I mean, that's the stones to take that with the confidence that just bang. Like he's a good little player. He is a good little player. We haven't been talking about Kentucky as one of the elite teams anyway, so I don't right. think that like it's you talk about them the same way you talk no, about Duke enough. and Michigan State yeah. and even the, maybe Xavier. The, like the SEC's got like six teams in the top fifty or whatever. They don't have an elite team though. No, no question. And but that's the whole country. Like there, who is the favorite? Who is the best team that you think is dominant? That is almost no matter who they play, you expect them to win. Villanova. I guess I think Villanova is when 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 push comes to shove and you start checking every box, they're the one. But they are the one. But they have flaws. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing. They're not deep. They're dealing with some injuries right now. They don't have NBA level guys. Yes, they do. Not not a now not not a bunch. You you got a guy in Mikael Bridges who might be pushing a lottery now. Yeah, and you got Jalen Brunson. And Jalen Brunson is one of the best point guards in the country. But there also is still that thing that. He's a six foot point guard. Right. You know, right. it's not a six five lottery pick that's that's your point guard. So that does change a little bit things in terms of length and athleticism and overall upside. That's fair. I mean, it's an interesting team to watch, but I do think they're probably the most consistent like team in the Michigan country. State turns it over a ton, a crap ton. Yeah. They do not have good point guard play. And I'm gonna I'm gonna you want well, I don't Go know. ahead. I'm, you're rolling. No, you're rolling. Miles Bridges, why is he not playing the four? I am so sick of college coaches not taking guys like him and playing them as undersized four men, instead trying to force them to be wing players, that they're not wing players. I don't care what the kid thinks he needs to be to make it in the NBA. Put your kid at the best position. Why why do you want a guy to be an average three when he's a great four? What why what are you, what are you doing to your own roster? You're not helping your team win by forcing Miles Bridges outside to play the three when the mismatch he creates is at the four. Hello, Kevin Knox. It's happening all across college basketball. Although, I think Cal's starting to think about putting Kevin Knox more as a four. The problem with that is PJ Washington's right. finally coming on. Right. And PJ Washington's a four. The, the problem is you have to take Kevin Knox out of the three to put in another face up four at the three. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> That's the Which real is what we talked Kentucky. about with them since July. The roster construction is poor. I think what you do with Kentucky is you play Shea Gill, just Alexander, who might be their best player yeah. now, more at the one. You play Quade Green together with him at the two, and then you just go smaller ball with Hamadou at the three and, and, and Knox at the four. But the problem with that is then you've got to sit five guys that can't get on the floor because they all play the four. Yeah, I mean, do you take Nick Nick Richards out? Play him like hockey shifts, and you play Wine and Gabriel to five. You just quit playing fives altogether. Yes, you just play yeah. two fours all the time or three fours. You all almost the time. have to, <laughs> but I, I it drives me nuts. Like there, there was this big thing when Gary Clark first came in his first couple years. 
Can he, can he develop to play the three? Why the hell would you want Gary Clark playing the three? He would be, at best, at best, an average three. Right. Probably a below average three. Or a well above average. Like, did you know Gary Clark is number two in the country in wind share? That's pretty good. Why, why would you move him away from what he's good at? Why has Miles Bridges moved away from what he's good at? Yeah. And he I, hasn't been the same player this year playing the three. I think a lot of times when fans are talking about that early, like early in Gary's career, it's more of a thing of, can this guy's skill set improve? Is he going to have the face-up skills? But that doesn't mean you need to move him from the three to the right. four. Then you he can, just becomes even better of a matchup from the four. four. Right, exactly. It, it drives me nuts. That's one of the things that, like, as the game has changed and it t- they talk about positionless basketball or whatever, there's still positions. Like, Well, and there's it's an older mindset, too, to think, can this guy move to the three? And it's like, why? It doesn't... We've clearly seen teams succeed playing six eight centers and six yeah. six power forwards and everything else. So there's I mean, no reason to feel like, oh, that guy is only six seven or six eight. He needs to be a three instead of a four. It, there's it's not necessary. Doesn't make sense anymore. Providence basically killed Xavier in the second half by making them make a decision. They put Rodney Bullock, their four man, a face up four man at that, at the five, and said, Xavier, if you want to play a center and you're going to kill us inside with a center, we're not going to play a center. You're going to have to guard all five of our perimeter players. Xavier couldn't do it. And you it. can do that with a lead. I mean, you, you, you dictate the matchup with the lead. Yeah. I and mean, that's what they did, for sure. Um, Sorry for the mini rant, but that drives me nuts. No, I, and I, but I do want to touch on Ohio State. I mean, look, the Big Ten is not good, but this is a this is a this maybe a good year for them to start the rebuilding process. You know who's process. good? You know who's good? Chris Holtman's good. Chris Holtman's good. Very good. How many times did we sit here yeah. last year and talk about how underwhelmed we were with Butler in terms of looking at them Talent, on paper? Yeah, just the eyeball test. And then watching them go out and beat people. And that's... Chris Holtman, clearly. Because they're the third best team in the Big, in the Big Ten. Ten. No doubt. And they, if looking at that roster before the, the season, they should have struggled to be the 10th best team in the Big Ten. And here they are sitting a third, and like Rick talked about on the Sports Authority, they're, they're pushing for a good seed. Yes. They're not talking about sneaking in the tournament. They're pushing for a good seed. I do wonder a little bit why we expected this Ohio State team to be so bad. Well, the guys well, that are playing well hadn't played well right. in their careers. Right. No, and I agree with that. But like when you start thinking about the recruits that they had that have put this roster together, like I liked C.J. Jackson. Cam Williams could always shoot. I liked him. Jayshon Tate always liked. Kata Bates-Diop, yeah, who didn't like him. Huge Kata Bates-Diop. Caleb Wesson, who didn't like I mean, they had some pieces that could play, and now you're just seeing a coach like Chris Holtman bring those pieces together, get the most out of them. I mean, Thad Mata did incredible things in his career, but there is no doubt about it that it was clearly time for a change. Yeah, and it's worked, and boy, out, worked they, out well. Chris Holman wasn't their first choice or their second choice or their third choice. It was the they right choice. They got the right choice. Yeah. That dude can coach, yeah. man. No doubt. And and I will say, we were talking about on the Sports Authority, this Ohio State team has gone from they ain't making the tournament, they stink, to heck, they might be on the bubble by the end of the year, too. We need to talk about their resume as a top-five seed currently, potentially. I still think, look, this is a team who three games ago struggled with Miami of Ohio. Correct. They're not a dominant team. And you look at people, if you look at the final score, they're it was totally, not indicative, but but yeah. They're going to have some head-scratching losses on the road in the I, Big Ten. I think so, too. There's still some slip-ups along the way, and the Big Ten is not good this year by Big Ten standards, but like there's plenty of solid teams that they're going to have to play Yeah, that when you go to their place, it's going to be difficult. Right, so it'll be interesting. This will be an interesting case study the rest of the way to see how this team finishes, but right now... Really impressive what Chris Holtman has done with them. I will also say we kept waiting last year, the entire season, for Butler to fall off. 
And they never did. And they never did. And and maybe that'll be the Ohio State conversation come come February and March. Until I until I see otherwise, I think I'm leaning towards giving Chris Holtman the benefit of the doubt. Their worst loss right now is a neutral loss to Butler. And we thought that Butler team stunk at the time, right. so we were kind of making a bigger deal out of that. But that's their worst loss. They lost neutral to Gonzaga, home to Clemson. Which, and then, uh, but Clemson's got one loss. I mean, Clemson's top 15. Yeah. I mean, you, you would have liked to have won that game, right. but it's... And then... They North, lost to Temple. North Carolina injury. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, no. It, it, and the thing is, they're getting better. And that's the, that's the part of the season. I think everybody always sees a team in, in November, and they think that's the same team that they are in December, and that's the same team they are in January. It's just it's a fluid thing both ways. Yeah. Some teams get better. Some teams, I mean, Temple, look pretty good to start the year. Right now, they're a train wreck. I, it, it, it is. It's just a, it's a fluid circumstance. So, you know, it's, it, it's easy to make snap judgments in November, and you can certainly change your mind where we are here in January, because that team is completely different and playing completely different. They're completely different. Yeah. 100% different team. One thing I love about watching them, which I'm sure you can appreciate being a a UC guy, is they do not foul on defense. They just guard you without fouling, and it keeps the pace of the game going. It's it's fun to watch. I like It changes everything when you're not sending teams to the free throw line for stupid stuff. A stupid hand check or a stupid hip check or, you know, it, it also changes you're not in the bonus with 12 minutes left in each half or the other teams going to the free throw line for 12 minutes. Yeah. It is funny. This time of year, usually you look in, in some of the major leagues and you can see two or three or four teams that are undefeated and separate themselves. You start to look in these leagues and just about everybody's got a loss. Every league just, that's happened is the American. You're right. Where Wichita State and Cincinnati are pretty clearly. And the other one is, is the Big 12, Texas Tech and West Virginia are three, both 3-0. Three and oh. That will not last long no. because they will both go on the road and lose very quickly to somebody. Just pick a team. Pick the next opponent. Maybe West they Virginia, play on the road. Man. Jevin Carter's a hundred years old. He was. He was. He played. I think he played under Gail Catlett. I believe. I don't. I don't know. He was really good when Beeline was there. He was good when Beeline was there. I don't <laughs> know if it's fair to say only the American. Some of those other mid-major conferences, like no, no, no I, said, I, said the, I said the I said the major ones. Easy, well, I know, but I, I thought we were talking easy, about the American. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. nice call. He, he, he threw the mid-major. Jab I like that. Was good. That was that was well played. That was well played. That was my bad. I missed that. I missed that. And let's talk. Speaking of mid-major, let's talk about NKU. Got a nice win at Oakland. And then Oakland turns around and loses again. Suddenly, they have a matchup for first place coming up in the league. Oakland's one and three? Who's that, Oakland? Oakland is one and three, yes. Wow. Lost at home to uh, Wright State today. Wright State's the other undefeated team. Both of them sitting at 4-0. Um, but, but NKU, I, even though I don't, this Oakland team's got some issues right now because they just lost back-to-back home games to NKU and Wright State. And lost at Green Bay before And that. lost at Green Bay before Who's that. 307 in Ken Palm right now. That's a good point. Um... It, 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 it missing, is missing Karam Cantor. I think you are getting the point. If NKU does beat Wright State, and I think they do, that is that they are the clear cut team to beat for the one. No, they're already the clear cut favorite. Wright State is not as I mean, they just beat Oakland. I'll give them credit for that. They're not as talented as NKU and Oakland. They, they're playing and by the way, and, and NKU did survive the complete trap of going to Oakland, winning, then playing woeful Detroit, playing ugly, and finding a way to win thanks to Levon Holland. And that's big because Chad mentioned this a few podcasts ago that the thing for this NKU team is going to be the maturity of being a good team within right. your conference. Like, we know they're capable of going and winning a game at Oakland. Like, that's a huge win, but we knew they were capable of that. The question is, after you get that big win and your bus doesn't start up and you have to Uber back to a hotel and you've got a short turnaround and you play in some podunk gym where guys are sleeping and reading and, and books. And you know their record. You see their talent. They were missing a couple guys today too, Detroit. I mean, you, you think you can walk in that and win it. You really do. It's just it's human nature. And you come out totally flat. The question is, can you right the ship and be mature enough 
to get that game won in the second half. They did that. They were confident in the final minutes. LeVon Holland was just a big time. I mean, the same exact shot Jacob Evans hit literally from the exact same spot. And we had talked about LeVon Holland kind of being a difference maker. That's back-to-back games. He had a huge shot, obviously, down the stretch against against Oakland, kind of a lean-in. That rattled around the rim. I still don't know how it went in. I don't either. I mean, it was the softest rim of all all time. But those were two. Those are are what you need him to do, make make two plays like he did the last two games. Think about this. LeVon Holland. Keelan Martin. Oh, the same high school team. Quentin Gooden. Yeah. All on the same high school team and didn't win a state title. Quentin Gooden went to Taylor County. Or not Quentin Gooden. Quentin uh, Snyder. Quentin Snyder. Quentin Snyder. There we yes. Quentin Snyder. Yeah. And also, like, two other, two or three other D1 guys. Like, Jalen Perry was on that team. Yeah, and they had a center who went, I believe, D2 or Juco, who was really good, too. I can't remember. Super athletic, six, seven, six, eight kid. Who did they, they lost to what? Kenja Bosley? I believe so. Yeah. Is that Mercer County? No, I think no. it was Madison Central. Madison Central. There I knew it was go. an yeah. MC, Madison yeah. Central. Well, there's one problem with that. There's one basketball sometimes. Sometimes it's just not. That's that's a pretty damn good high school team, though. It's a really good high school team <laughs> from a sheer talent standpoint. A really, really good high school team. But uh, NKU, that's, that's big time for them, especially to be on. Like, NKU was in a Friday night feature game on ESPN2. ESPN2. Not, the, not the Ocho. Not the Ocho. Not the three. On ESPN2. With quite a few people watching, like I was getting was a lot it? of like my, in my tweets about it, I was getting a ton of reaction. That's the funny thing because we're the only place that like talks about NKU regularly yeah. now. When they're on and people notice it, it's like people just tweet at us about yeah. like what they're watching. Yeah. It's like I've never gotten random like even UC updates throughout games, but now people are just tweeting about what's going on in NKU games. Like, yeah, I, thanks, I, I'm watching too. <laughs> I, I, I do. I do have a question about, about about that game on TV, by the way. Because the I, I, I was it just was it my TV? Was it my no, it's a, Friday night blurriness or was no? It's got a do, terrible do, glare. Do, do they have lighting issues? It's some type of weird finish on the finish, court. Okay, yeah, it just looked dark, dark. Yeah. Look like you were they were playing in the dark. Oh well, they have a different colored floor, obviously. Yes, and, and then, then they have a weird finish on it that makes okay. it look even weirder. The lights glare off it, and there's all types of glare marks on the screen. It's it's hard to watch. It is hard TV. to watch. I think it's a cool looking court actually, but it, it's terrible on television. I felt like I was watching something with like eight light bulbs missing, and somebody forgot to replace them. You were also like, that's what I'm asking. I said. I, I I it was a late what, was a late what, what, was, what was the drink of choice? Tall boys, a beast? No, we 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 had played, so I went and had a couple after we played that night, and, oh. and so I, that's what I was. I just couldn't tell it was me being cloudy with my vision. Maybe my my cable wasn't working so well, or or was I missing Your something? Your brain wasn't. Working or there's all that. Well. There is all that. It's big win for John Brandon. Yes. Well, big. and it's could you imagine what Jalen Tate might be right now if he didn't have to redshirt last yeah. year? He's becoming a he's six five six six athletic as heck as like you would think him of as a two guard or a three even he's guarding everyone's best point guard a lot of, I mean he's he's NKU's perimeter stopper now on the defensive end as a sophomore who or as a redshirt freshman I should say he's making big plays like he had a big drive late in the game only finished like seven or nine points or something he did but, have one, he did have one towards the end I think he had nine but boy, yeah he he's did have a one bad free throw shooter though. Yeah, I mean, there's some <laughs> holes in his game for sure, and he, he doesn't really I, I have just, confidence on the offensive end yet because the the offense runs through other players, obviously. Yeah. But looking at his upside, man, when you factor in what he's capable of doing on the defense, he's what, uh, how many times did we talk about that whole class? Like Faulkner's making an impact. Carson Williams. I've never seen a team just decide not to guard a guy that talented. Oakland just decided not to guard him. They were giving him the ball in what would you know the elbow handoff, like the the. Yes, quasi screen elbow handoff, and he would turn, and the guy right. would be at the rim. Yeah, this defender would be at the rim, just like 
Come on, bring it. Well, I think sure, he'll bring it. He brought it. Uh, yep. He brought it. He brought it. Like, he carried them for a stretch early in the second half when they were on that crazy run. It was just like, they weren't. if you're not going to stop me, I'm going to the rim and I'm going to put it in the basket every time. They Their strategy was, NKU is so good at running that ball screen motion from side to side. They get it moving so fast and swinging back and forth where they make your defense move, you get out of sorts, and they get a drive to the lane or a dump off to a big. They were taking the big out of the equation saying, we're just sticking one to the rim because Williams, when he catches the ball at the top of the key to swing it to the other side and go screen, never even looks at the basket. And so it worked out great in the first half. He second-guessed himself. The one time he shot a three, made yeah. it. Next time he bricked it. And he just wasn't even looking. Finally, just started saying, heck, I can drive this still because they're nowhere near me. They didn't pick him up when he started driving. He'd get two feet out they from the rim before they could pick him up if they wanted to. They were inside the charge circle. I'm guessing they looked and said, this dude ain't finishing through anybody. Oh, yeah, he is. Yeah, it was unbelievable. I have to imagine they've seen him on oh, film. Oh, I know. I'm kidding. I mean, it was it, unbelievable. That's what it looked like. It's like, this dude, you think this dude's going to challenge me? Come on now. And the bigger problem for it was, it's one thing to not guard him from out there. But the issue with that is, once a shot goes up, you now have no one there to put a body right, on right. one of the most toughest athletic dudes in the conference who's just running kamikaze down the middle of the lane jumping for rebounds, and, which and, is and hard and to keep him off the he's, offensive he's got glass. great right. anticipation reads. He reads. He's just one of those guys that uncannily can read. I just couldn't believe that. Balls like skinny go. coaching. Just, just don't guard that guy. Well, just, just stand under the rim. Change yeah. it in the second half once he starts killing you. Like <laughs> They went like five possessions and did it every possession. Because in the first half, it worked. Like, so it remember work. this. Greg Campy's a hell of a coach. I do love Greg. I Campy. do love Greg Campy. I do too. He was hilarious in his pregame interview with Coach Moeller. I just hilarious. I, I, oh, did you talk to him on the radio? Yeah, I mean, I, he was crushing all the people that were saying that the Horizons a down conference this year and everything else. Crushing the RPI, telling everyone how Kendrick Nunn, who came to Oakland by way of domestic violence and getting kicked out of Illinois, but telling him as the most self unselfish, great human being alive and going to average 40 points if he wasn't injured. That's what a, a Big Ten top 50 player looks like as a senior at Oakland. Yeah, he made some big plays down the stretch. Oh, good. Like, yeah. Really good. Yeah. It's really good. Did yeah. he score 50 at Illinois in a game? Yeah. That's pretty good. I mean, he was averaging 33.5 points going into that game in conference play. Yeah, he's and he's coming off an injury. He can get buckets, and they're now one and three after losing. So NKU on Thursday, we'll be able to talk about this in our midweek podcast. They do play Wright State at home on Thursday for, for all the marbles for, for all the marbles. First place in the league. So there we go. I think Wright State is going to drop a few more on the road before it's all. They said probably done. will. They probably will. Benzinger still on that team? Yes, uh, yes. he's a senior. Yes, is he good. Yeah, he's been very good the last two years. Moeller's finest. All right, you got final take time there, Chad Randall. <coughs> Ding. Well, I, th- I thought he was clear his throat because I thought he had something really profound. I think I used my my energy on the, uh, on the power on the, forward. That's fine. I like it. Okay, I'll, I'll give you a pass. How about you, Rick Brewing? I, I are we going to Levar Ball? Or are we not? I didn't, I'm just making sure. I didn't come up with anything. That's all good. I'm, I'm sorry. That's all right. I'm just making sure. All right, boys, we will be back well, uh, midweek. I got, I got a question. Yes. yes. Is Louisville going to make the NCAA tournament? I think they're going to really struggle to get. No, there. they're already their fan base could care less. They're already worried about is it going to be Chris Mack or is it going to be someone else as their next head coach? David Paget never had a chance. No. Well, not after you lose the UK by 150. Correct. That, that, yeah. that, that sealed his fate. It, I mean, it, shy it, of a Final Four run, did. there is nothing they could do now at this point other than a Final Four Playing run. Playing in that league, they're going to get job. massacred. Yeah. There is nothing he can do. 
He's done. Yeah. It's, it's, there were politicians in the state of Kentucky that as soon as they saw that score go final, started looking for the replacement for Louisville's next head coach. Started scraping together the cash for the replacement for that next That's head exactly coach. That's exactly what I meant. There you go. Thank you very much. All right. Hey, thanks for listening to the Skinny Podcast sponsored by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati. Hey. Yeah, very well done, fellas. We will be back midweek around Wednesday to record another one. Thanks for being with us for Chad Brendel and Rick Boring. I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Skinny Podcast, the college basketball edition.